And before we engage with God's word, before we allow God to start the conversation with us through his word, I invite you just to take a minute, shake off the week. It's been a long week. It's been a busy week. You've been studying hard, 10 hours a day. So we just want to shake that off, leave it behind. So I invite you to just close your eyes. Just let it, take a deep breath out, just letting go of whatever you carried in tonight. With stress, pain, worry, and just a deep breath in, breathing in the goodness of God. And just a slow breath out, just again letting go of whatever is heavy on your heart tonight. And a deep breath in, just believing that God's goodness will sustain you. So Father, we welcome your presence here tonight. We are waiting on you to speak to us, Father. We are hungry for you to speak to us. So we are listening, Father, with open hands, with open hearts, and with open minds. John 10, verses 1 through 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So speak, Lord. Highlight a word or a phrase. Draw our attention to what you want to speak to us about tonight. Yeah, I think this is a beautiful passage, but I have one critique for Jesus, if I could offer one. He mixes his metaphors. He goes back and forth between, I'm the gate, I'm the the good shepherd, I'm the gate, I'm the good shepherd. He goes back and forth. So if he was in my first year writing class, I would say, "Uh uh-uh, Jesus. Back to the revision desk for you. 
Um, but, be, but this is a very common practice in the first century for first century teachers and first century um, itinerant ministers. So in his context, it's totally normal. For us, it's a little bit tricky. So we're going to split it up into two weeks. So next week, we're really going to dive into what Maggie was talking about, about Jesus as the good shepherd, because that's so much in this passage about the sheep knowing his voice. Um, but he also talks about being the gate, the gate through which the sheep enter into the pastures of abundance. So this, is, this week we're going to focus on the gate. Next week we will focus on the, Jesus as the good shepherd. I mean, we'll kind of continue this passage. This passage continues on with more about Jesus as the good shepherd. But this week is the gate. And this, I would say, is the more controversial metaphor of this passage, the more potentially offensive um, metaphor that Jesus says of himself. Um, because when he says the gate, what he's saying is, I am the only way to experience the kingdom of God. I am the only way to join the people of God. And I am the only way to spend eternity with God in heaven. So when he says gate, he's saying, I am the only entrance in. And it's good to be clear about this and recognize that what Jesus is saying, it was offensive to the people he was talking to. And it's potentially offensive to people today. There are people who hear this message and think, "Uh uh-uh, not for me. Um, Because remember, we'll talk about this in a minute when we talk about the context. But Jesus is talking to a courtyard full of Pharisees, of Bible scholars and religious leaders. Um, And they they have all this knowledge and all these rules, and they think, these are the things that I need to do to get into heaven. This will get me into relationship with God, into an eternity with God. And Jesus is saying, nope, only a relationship with me. It's only through me. And then, so it's offensive to the Pharisees, and it's potentially offensive to us. We are a community, a campus of really generous-minded, generous-hearted people who want to believe that spiritual fulfillment, that wholeness is available to everyone however they choose. That's kind of the, that would be, if I could choose a posture, that would be my posture. You do you, you experience wholeness and fulfillment however it is for you. Um, But that's not what Jesus says here. He says there's only one way to access spiritual wholeness and eternal salvation. And that's through a relationship with him. It's by knowing his voice, following his voice, going, following his lead into his pastures of abundance. So he says very clearly, very offensively, and he says it twice. In case you missed it the first time, he's going to make, clear, make it clear you didn't miss it the second time. I am the gate. I am the only way to experience the kingdom of God. The only way to join the people of God the only way to spend eternity with God. And so I think this raises sort of an important question, a question that isn't exclusive to this verse. A question of what do we do when Jesus offends us? What do we do when Jesus says something, teaches something, commands something that goes against beliefs that we hold dear, goes against political beliefs, social beliefs, um, cultural beliefs, Beliefs about our identity that we hold really dear, that are really precious to us. Because I can promise you that this is probably not the first time or the last time that Jesus is going to say something or teach something or command something that makes you feel a little bit sort of like, oh, I don't know about that. I'm not sure what I think about that. That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. That doesn't fit with my view of the world. And so it's good to know ahead of time, how are we going to respond when Jesus offends us? And we see in this passage, the Pharisees and the Bible scholars and the Jewish religious leaders, they just reject him. 
They revile him. They denounce him. They publicly shame and punish him. They're going to eventually kill him because they disagree so vehemently with him. He offends everything they believe and everything they they stand for. So he's going to reject them. So they're going to reject him. And I think that's one way to respond when Jesus offends us. One way is to walk away. One way is to say, this is not for me. But I don't think that's the only way. And I would really encourage you to choose a different way. Um, I would encourage you, I would invite you, I would suggest that when Jesus offends you, engage with him. Talk to him. Study his words. Study the context. Try to figure out, Jesus, why do you say this? Why are you teaching this? I believe that you're good. I believe that you're just. I believe that you're merciful. So why this? Why do you have to be the gate? I really encourage you, if you feel offended by Jesus on this subject or on any other subject in Scripture, engage. Don't walk away. Dig in. Find out why he says what he says. Read what other scholars say. On many, in many instances, there are a lot of faithful responses. There are a lot of faithful ways to follow Jesus. So don't give up. Don't get offended. Don't walk away. Because here at St. Timothy specifically, we don't want to teach you what to think. We don't want to say this is exactly what you have to believe to be a follower of Jesus. We want to say, we want to teach you how to think. We want to teach you what do you do when you encounter something in Scripture that you don't understand. We want you to have tools to understand Scripture for yourself and to figure out what you believe for yourself. Because we're not going to stand before God for you. At the end of time, you will stand before God and you will be accountable for the things you have done, for the things you have believed, for the things you have said. And so you want to know why. You want to say, Jesus, I studied your word and I read what smart, faithful people had to say about it and this is the conclusion that I came to. Not just because someone told me that's what I was supposed to think. So we're not going to tell you what to think on this or any issue. But we are going to try to encourage you how to think. How to come to figure out what you believe about Jesus because it's your relationship with Jesus that you're responsible for. But I would say... That Jesus is not a shock jock. He's not just saying offensive things for the sake of being offensive, to get a rise out of the people, to get a rise out of the Pharisees, to alienate himself from a community. That's not who he is. That's not what he does. So oftentimes, if you dive into the context, if you dive into the passage, you'll see that he's responding to particular things. He's saying some, he says he's the gate for a particular reason, not just because he wants to make the Pharisees angry. But in this passage, it's because the Pharisees have made him angry. They have violated, um, they have violated the holiness of a moment he just had with a man on the side of the road. If you were to look back in John 9, and I would encourage you, uh, over this week, go back, read John 9. And we see that John 9 starts with a man who is born blind. He's born blind from the moment he's born blind. So everybody thinks in this context, if you're born differently abled, if you're born with a disability, it's your fault. Either your parents sinned or you sinned, but you're a mess. We don't want any part of you. And that's this man on the side of the road that Jesus encounters at the beginning of John. But Jesus has compassion. Jesus takes pity. This guy does not even know who Jesus is. And Jesus heals him. He brings back his sight. And he, make it worse, he does it on the Sabbath. Which is, you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. You're supposed to rest. You're supposed to spend time meditating. You're not supposed to work. You're not supposed to heal. You're not supposed to claim to be the Messiah, especially on the Sabbath. 
So this, so Jesus heals this man totally unprompted, totally unbidden, totally unasked. And the Pharisees hear about it. And they go up to this poor guy whose whole life has been turned around. His whole life he's thought, what is wrong with me that I was made blind? And then Jesus, like that, turns it around, opens his eyes so that he can see. And now the Pharisees are like, what are you doing? Why did you talk to that guy? Who do you think this guy is? Why did you let him heal you on the Sabbath? And this guy's like, I don't know. I, I was just on the side of the road. Jesus just came up to me. I don't know who he is, but he seems like a good guy. And so and the Pharisees kick him out. They say, if you think this guy is a good guy, you're out. You're not one of us. You're not part of this community. This temple that you grew up in your whole life, not a part anymore. Get out of here. So when Jesus preaches this passage, he is preaching in righteous anger. He is responding to the Pharisees claiming that they are the gatekeepers of God's people. That they say who's in and who's out. And Jesus says, no, you don't. You do not determine who is part of this community and who is not. I determine that and I alone. So don't you dare kick out this man who has done nothing wrong. And what's worse, when they kick him out, they're shouting at him, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us about Jesus? So arrogance, pride, everything you can imagine. And And the Pharisees are saying, we're the keepers of God. We're the ones you need to approve of. We're the ones who get to decide if you get into God's people, if you get into heaven. And Jesus says, no, not true. Jesus says, I am the gate. Not you, Pharisees. Not you, religious leaders. Not you, Jewish authorities. I am the gate. I am the only way to experience the kingdom of God. I am the only way to join the people of God. Only I decide if you're in or out. So he says to the Pharisees, put down your Bibles, relax about the religious laws, and come follow me. Have a relationship with me. I am the gate into the goodness of God. Because the Pharisees were saying, only if you understand scripture like we understand scripture can you be holy. And only if you live out the Mosaic law, the laws of righteousness, like we live out the Mosaic laws, can you be righteous. And can you experience the kingdom of God. But Jesus says the Bible is not a gate. We are so grateful for the Bible. We read the Bible. We study the Bible. We use the Bible to know Jesus, to know his voice, to know how he acts, to know how he responds. But Bible thumping isn't going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. And being a good person is not the gate. Following all the moral laws, checking every box of goodness and righteousness and morality... And I'm grateful, we're grateful that God has given us a sense of right and wrong. He's given us kind of a moral structure that helps us to decide and make wise choices. But being a good person is not a golden ticket into heaven. And that's a hard one, and that can be an offensive one. Because Jesus says clearly and exclusively and offensively, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I think that it's not insignificant that Jesus uses the metaphor of a gate. So he could have used a lot of metaphors here. There's a lot of things he could have said. But a gate requires movement. 
A gate requires you to either walk through it or walk away from it. But you just can't stand at a gate forever. You've got to make a choice. You have to respond. You have to start walking in a direction. So Jesus doesn't say, I am the checklist. I am the book. I am the right thought. I am the right action. I am the right deed. He says, I am the gate. So come through or don't. But you have to make a choice. You have to move. So it's not just enough, I would argue this, it's not just enough to just cognitively assent to Jesus and just say, all right, Jesus, I believe in you. Beam me up to heaven now. I got it. It's not enough. Jesus says, I am the gate. You come in and you go out and you experience the pastures of abundance. So the only way to experience the kingdom of God, the only way to join the people of God, the only way to spend eternity with God is through the gate of Jesus Christ. And so like we said, the gate is an active metaphor. So I think we are kind of invited to respond to this passage. An active metaphor requires an active response on our parts. And so I would suggest there are probably a lot of ways we could respond, but I'm going to highlight three. You can think for yourselves, what is Jesus, how is Jesus inviting you to respond? But I would say there's three that come immediately to mind. Um, and you'll, they're in your bulletins if you want to take notes or follow along. So first, I think a way to, be, to respond, a legitimate way to, be, to respond is to feel offended. To say, this is not what I think, this is not what I believe, this is not how I feel. This feels unfair to my sense of justice and mercy. And if you're offended, grapple with Jesus, wrestle with Jesus. Trust him enough to believe that there can be a good ending to the places where you disagree. To the, to the possibility that you could follow him and still disagree with some things. That is a very real possibility. So if you're offended by this, the onus is on you to keep studying, keep thinking, keep grappling with this text. Um, and I would suggest a great place to start is a, and we recommend this in your bulletin, is a book, it's a, it's a series called The Counterpoint Series, um, which is a wonderful series of books that gives you four perspectives on every issue. So four faithful responses to lots of, question, lots of Christian questions. Communion, um, salvation, baptism, uh, uh, sexuality. So they give you four responses, four faithful, godly responses. And then you can, and then they interact with each other. They'll say, this is why I disagree with that person. This is why I disagree with that person. So you can read different ways to, that people engage with this issue of salvation and see which one feels right to you and know why it feels right to you. So I would encourage you, if this kind of pushes your buttons a little bit, get this book. Read through this book. Figure out what are the different ways to grapple with salvation to grapple with Jesus as the gate. So one way to, be, to respond is to be offended, and then that's a legitimate way to respond, but the onus is on you to dig deeper, to push deeper. Second, I think you can be inspired, that you want to recommit your life to Jesus, that you want to commit your life to Jesus for the first time, maybe. Because you say, I want that life in abundance. I want to experience that thing that we've all been talking about, that we can have life and have it to the full. I want that with Jesus. 
So if you're feeling that desire to recommit, to trust his leadership, to walk through the gate, we've given you a little space. I just encourage you in your own words, in your own way, write a prayer of commitment to Jesus. What does that look like for you? Jesus, I commit my life. I commit my heart. I commit X circumstances that I'm struggling with because I believe you have more than me. I want to experience the life you have in abundance. Whatever that looks for you, write your commitment prayer to Jesus. Write your recommitment prayer. If you find yourself kind of struggling, wondering, questioning, but you want to recommit, just write a prayer to Jesus. It's between you and it's between him. No one else needs to know. And thirdly, I think you can respond by being concerned about the people that you love who don't have a relationship with Jesus. There might be people in your life who think of Jesus as a a legalistic, religious zealot who aren't interested in him, who find him too offensive to even engage with, or just uninteresting. They're like, I don't need that guy. I've I've got it figured out. So I would say if we really believe that Jesus is the gate, if we really believe that the way to relationship with God, the way to relationship with God's people, the way in to eternity is only through Jesus, then there's no other way for us to respond than to pray for people that we love, people that we know, people who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. I think, for me, I can't think of any other way to respond to this text, for me, than to just pray for the people that I love. Pray for my friends, pray for my family, pray for the same people I've been praying for 15 years. Keep praying for them. We talked a couple weeks ago, Vince talked about, he asked you, who are you praying for? Specifically this semester, who are you praying for? Come back to those people. Do a little heart check. Have I been praying for them? Have I been praying faithfully for them? Do I believe that God is at work in their life? So spend some time. Pray for someone that you care about. Pray for a people group that you care about. Pray for people you don't even know, but you think it's important for them to know Jesus. This is a passage that sends people to the missions field because they believe, I don't want this this people, this community to die without hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. So let it send you out into your personal mission field. Who are the people around you that need your prayers, that need your witness, that need your example? of what it looks like to live in the abundance of Christ. So we'll give you some time to think, to pray, to reflect, and then we'll continue with our worship. So take some time. Commit your heart to God or pray for those around you.